0: Happy New Year, and welcome back to the Sharp End Podcast. I'm Ashley, the creator of the show. This is my seventh year producing the show. And don't forget that I have a Patreon. I also have a PayPal account. Please remember that I am one person behind this show. I literally am the Sharp End Podcast. I have no team, no crew of editors. It's my personal and free time that I devote to producing this show for you. And that costs money. I keep ads to a minimum. I keep my shows short and sweet. I put a lot of love, effort, tears, time and money into maintaining the integrity of my podcast. So if you value this show, please show your support by becoming a Patreon member. Head to patreon.com slash the sharp end podcast. There are multiple levels you can choose from and you can do a one time or monthly donation. I wouldn't be able to continue to produce this show without support from my listeners. Have you been involved in a rescue this year? say a huge thank you to the rescue team by nominating them for the Rocky Talkie Search and Rescue Award. This year, Rocky Talkie is giving away $25,000 to four teams to celebrate and recognize rescues in 2021. Nominate a team today on the American Alpine Club website. Applications close January 31st, 2022. And don't forget to use code SHARPEND to get 10% off at rockytalkie.com. These are my favorite radios, and I take them with me on every single backcountry adventure. It's backcountry ski season, so make sure you and your partner have solid communication in the mountains with these radios. This show is also supported by the American Alpine Club. In today's episode, I have Kyle Broxman share about a climbing accident he had in Donner Pass outside of Lake Tahoe, California in July of 2021, just last year. Listen in to hear what happened and what he learned. I hope you enjoy
1: thanks for having me on the podcast it's definitely something i'm super excited about i listened to your show and i love what you're doing so i am feel honored to be here uh you know like i said my name is kyle brockstroman i currently live in reno nevada i am 30 years old now it's kind of crazy to say i just broke into my 30s um you know my life has been a little crazy lately uh, i did get in this accident but before that I uh, traveled a lot. I lived in six different states over three years, uh, and also traveled abroad to Albania for seven months and climbed out there, uh, for my time there. And I recently, you know, had just gotten back from Albania, moved to Reno for the first time and just chose this place because they had a a gym here called Mesa Rim, which I had initially found in San Diego. And so that's the reason why we moved here. Uh, but yeah, so, uh. Came to Reno and uh, just kind of super excited about being here. But uh, in reference to the accident itself, um, you know, I had just gotten back to Reno. I had gone out to Donner Summit uh, for a trad climb up, a, a climb called One Hand Clapping. It was and my Donner first trip. Donner Summit
0: tra- is, is out by Ta- Lake Tahoe.
1: It is. It's just yeah. about, um, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 minutes north of uh, Lake Tahoe. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah so it was my first time out there super gorgeous loved being back on the granite because out in Albia I was basically restricted to just limestone so it was really nice to get back on that kind of rock again and um yeah so the the next weekend I decided to go out climbing again and at this point in my climbing career I had been climbing for six years and I when I got into climbing i kind of just like jumped into it really quick after the gym and taught myself how to climb and maybe had one or two days with a mentor and immediately kind of became a mentor myself and started mentoring my peer groups around me and would drag up anybody that would be willing to come with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of had to play safe for six years and, and climb within my on-site ability uh for those 6 years and so i ended up after 6 years being able to on site about 10 plus uh some 11 minuses on trad and uh if i was projecting at all which is pretty minimal i was able to pull off 11 plus or a 12 minus so that's kind of like where i was as a climber um mostly climbing within my on site ability but at this point in my life i was ready to push the grades i was ready to expand as a climber and I was really excited to, to push the grades, to be honest, and I was very focused on, on that goal. And uh, that's kind of where I was mindset-wise going into this to this day of climbing. Um, the, the person who ex- uh, shared with me this area we were going to, which was called Cloudburst Canyon, uh, his name was Nate, and I met him through my Instagram channel. Uh, I run a POV climbing channel called Brox Rocks, and he had reached out to me because he had seen that I was in the area. And so, uh, I met him, um, Hannah is my girlfriend and she's been climbing with me for about two years and she came with us that day. And, uh, yeah, it was a beautiful day. Um, new area, you know, we met Nate in the parking lot and, uh, you know, it's kind of a little weird with a new partner. You're not really sure how it's going to go. You know, climbing with someone new is always a little sketchy. You got to kind of make sure you go through your safety checks and understand who they are because you are trusting your life with them. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so we met Nate, and the vibes were really good. He, you know, super positive. He seemed like he knew what he was doing. He had been in the area that we were climbing before, and, and so where we is started this hiking. Area,
0: Cloudburst, Cloudburst Canyon. Where exactly is it?
1: Uh, so, Cloudburst Canyon is a sub canyon within a bigger canyon called Woodford Canyon, which is just west of Alpine Village, which is a small town about thirty minutes southeast from South Lake Tahoe. Yeah. So we're like just south of Tahoe, you know, it's California granite, um, really beautiful alpine setting. Uh, this is in July. So that's the summer, uh, beautiful weather, July of this year. Yes. Okay. And, uh, you know, the weather was super beautiful. We wanted to climb later in the day because the sun was going to hit. We were climbing early on. So we started climbing
0: July. The sun in California is probably pretty hot.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Especially the higher up you go, there's no uh, atmosphere to protect you. So it's going to be pretty hot but uh yeah so we uh you know we met that day it's gorgeous day and we started hiking up the the trail and this whole area is not on mount or sorry not in any guidebook it's just on mountain project and so it's got a lot less traffic from a lot of other climbers and that was something that you know we were excited about because it's always nice to find these kind of hidden gems and we had done some research on the area before and we had seen some climbs published there that looked really awesome and almost like classic rated climbs. And so we were super excited to be out there. Um, but yeah, we, we started hiking up towards this area called green tongue, which is the, one of the highest areas in the in the Canyon we were in with a, uh, highlighted climb that defines the area called the green tongue, which is a 10 B. And so we were hiking back towards this area and the, The trail at first was pretty well defined, Um, a single track trail with bushes up, you know, probably up to your shoulders as you're hiking in and quickly uh, started going across a couple streams and it started getting a little bit rocky. Uh, The trail started to fade. It started to get a lot more uh, gravelly and kind of almost like you were not exactly the first ascensionist, but definitely more of a a bushwhacking kind of experience. And also uh, another little threat that kind of riddled this entire area was a bunch of stinging nettles. They're nasty. <laughs> so it was my first experience with those, you know, had tried to avoid them. And the last little section before getting to where we were going to set up our little, uh, base was this really loose scree, talus and gravel kind of field that was maybe 25 feet tall, um, that we had to kind of slide our way up, uh, to get to where we were going to set up our, our section. And yeah, so we got to our space. We, you know, unpacked our gear. The vibes are really good. We find this five, nine quarter crack that we are going to warm up on. I take the first, uh, lead with it. It feels, you know, other than the first jitters that you get when you get your first lead climb in the day, especially in trad. Once you get past that, I was feeling really calm. The belay from Nate felt really good. And the climbing was awesome. I was, you know, the, the day was starting out really nice and, uh, Nate and Hannah followed suit and they both did the climb as well. And then we moved on to the next progression, which was green tongue, which was just adjacent across the way, maybe 15 feet on the other side of the canyon and, uh, that was a 10 B is like a broken finger crack. I was able to on-site that as well. And, uh, that was a beautiful climb. Uh, didn't really have too many issues, feeling very confident, you know, uh, increasing that, uh, confidence in my own abilities at this point. And, you know, Nate and Hannah both did that climb as well. And so, you know, the vibes are continuing to be high. You know, we're, we both belayed with Nate twice now. So, you know, we're building that trust and we were about to choose to go to another area to do a 10 C, which was like this big classic climb in the area. But there was an 11 minus that was just adjacent to the five, nine corner crack that I had just climbed that I just felt a calling to go after because like i had mentioned before i was ready to push the grades you know i was very hyper focused about not playing safe anymore and just like going for it and being okay with taking a fall and just you know pushing the grades and so that's what i chose to do i i chose to go after that climb so we moved our gear set up the set up the belay and the funny thing was is that there was a, a 10 minus that was directly adjacent to the right of this climb that shared the anchors of this 11 11-. minus. So I had the option to set up a top rope on this 11 11- minus to figure out the gear beta, to figure out the moves before attempting to on-site it. But I distinctly chose to not take that decision and to just go for the on-site. I think that at this point in my climbing career, I had been onsighting things so much because I had been climbing with partners that had been, uh, below me in terms of grades and so i was the one kind of taking the sharp end and climbing within my my safety realm and it built up this confidence of onsighting, and almost an addiction to on i really liked That's the art of getting up to a climb and and just being able to climb it first go there's just something really magical about that and so i think that allure of the on definitely uh dragged me into you know the reason why i chose to skip that top rope yeah, so uh we're at the base of this climb. It's this overhanging lightning bolt crack. I'd say slightly overhanging. It's like off vertical. And the first protection piece is a bolt placed about, you know, I'm pretty tall. I'm about six two. I weigh at the time, I weighed about 195. And so I was able to to stand up and clip the bolt for my first piece of pro. Um, you know, Nate is my belayer, and I immediately get into that headspace, take a couple deep breaths and just get into that zone and start climbing. And how
0: much does Nate weigh about?
1: Uh, if I were to guess, he might be 20 pounds lighter than me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so not like a huge difference, like my girlfriend who, who weighs like maybe 100 pounds. Uh, so we use the ohm device when we climb together uh, to help disperse the force, uh, which is a little tricky on trad, but for a sport, it works amazingly well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I started climbing... Uh, you know, right off the bat, it's already super athletic. Um, definitely within the eleven range, okay. and I'm having having to breathe, having to focus. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, I get I get through the first few moves pretty well. Move past the bolt, and immediately I'm into the gear section where I have to place gear. And this crack is is really broken. It's not like a splitter crack like you'd find in Indian Creek. It is super broken, and the crack itself is filled with rock material if you could imagine that. And so I'm not really getting these finger locks, I'm more like grabbing, you know, these features within this crack and so placing pro in this crack required a lot of really small gear. Um so I was placing uh DMM offset peanuts. Uh I think they were sizes number 1 or number 2, maybe even a number 4. And if I recall correctly, these pieces are rated to about 5 to 4 kilonewtons. And, uh, the first piece I place is a 0.3 black diamond cam, and I place after it in the bolt. this right after the bowl yeah, directly after the bowl, about five feet past that bolt, I place this 0.3, uh, BD cam and it's oriented slightly diagonally, uh, with the tops of the lobes pointed up and left and the bottom lobes pointed down and right. And it's a pretty shallow placement. Um, looking back at it, I think that I could have been a lot more scrutinous about the placement in general. But I just clipped it, you know, wiggled it a couple times. And then because of the style of climbing that I was in, being very athletic and overhanging, there wasn't a lot of rest. And so I chose to just keep climbing rather than to like, all right, I don't really like that piece. I'm going to back off. I just kept climbing. So climbed a little bit higher, about, you know, four or five feet past that piece. I put in one of those DMM peanuts. Uh, That one felt really solid when I placed it in. You know, I don't know if you've had much experience with little tiny offset nuts, but when they go in and they feel good, they, they feel really good uh, to you when you tug on it. Um, So I clipped that, got up about halfway. So I'm about, I don't know, 20 feet off the deck at this point. There's a little bit of a rest where I've got a ledge to stand on, but like I said, it's slightly overhanging. So I can't let go of the wall. I've got to have one hand on the wall. And I'm able to get in one more DMM offset peanut above my head right near the crux. Um, and that one again, felt pretty solid. I clipped it, took a deep breath and I'm like, all right, Nate, you know, here we go. I'm going to go into the crux. I start climbing through the crux again. It's like this broken crack. So you've got all this rock material on the center, so You can't get any really good jams. I'm kind of like gas the sides and, uh, trying to pull myself through this thing and the last little section before you get to the resting jug, which I could clearly see is this like sloping left leaning hold that's really hard to hold on to. And I got to that point, I'm about six feet measured from my harness to the the piece that I had placed that peanut with a little small extended Alpine draw. And I'm, you know, I'm in the situation I'm pumping out, it's a sloping hold. It's slightly overhanging. I'm still very calm at this point. I'm looking at the jug that I'm needing to get to that's off to the right. And it's funny because once I got to that jug, there was a bolt and two more bolts above that to finish the climb. So I literally had placed, you know, the last piece of pro at this point and I just knew, you know, you have a, a sense of ability to understand what you can and can't do, or at least understand a, a relative ratio of percentage of whether or not you're actually going to be able to pull off the move. Yeah. And so, you know, looking at this move and considering how pumped I was, I was just like, I'm not going to risk it. I don't want to just dino for this jug and risk flailing and falling in this really dangerous manner. And so, you know, I calmly just looked down at Nate. I was like, Hey man, I'm going to fall super calm, not a single bit of fear in my body at this point. And I just, I say, okay, I'm going to fall. And so he uh, took, he took the system, he locked his ATC and I let go of the wall. And the last, you know, the first thing I remember is feeling this slight tug uh, when I hit that first piece and then hearing a snap. And the next thing I know, I hit the ground and start tumbling down that talus field that I had mentioned. Um, and you know, the next thing I know, I'm just sitting there about 15 feet down the slope from where I started climbing, basically like upside down, having been arrested by Nate and his ATC and the bolt that was at the beginning of the climb, all three pieces had failed. The first DMMP nut literally broke the wire snapped and the head of the nut was still stuck in the wall. No way! Um, yeah, the second DMM peanut that I had placed completely ripped out of the wall and the P, uh, the 0.3 BD cam, uh, also ripped out of the wall. Uh, when you look at these two pieces, I still have them in my house. Uh, the, the second DMM peanut is extremely deformed, uh, and clearly just blew out of its, its, uh, place that it was in. And the point three, the heads of the cam were also slightly deformed. And since the or, you know, the orientation that it was in, it was slightly diagonal and vertically placed. When I loaded it, the top of the cam rotated out of the crack and just ripped out. You know, it just like it wasn't placed extremely well. And like I said before, it was relatively shallow. So yeah, I, you know, those three pieces failed. I'm on the ground. I'm screaming bloody murder. I, I had never broken a bone in my body up to this point. And I am just in the most excruciating pain, extremely fearful. You know, the entire situation was just so intense for me. And, um, it's funny, my girlfriend who was trying to film the climb, uh, because like I said, I run this channel. So we were trying to build some content for the site and she had apparently stopped recording right before I fell, which I'm kind of grateful for because I didn't you know, looking back at it, I'm kind of glad I don't have to see myself fall, but she saw me fall and then fell out of view. So I fell like out of her view. She saw, you know, heard me hit the ground and then didn't see anything else. And until I, you know, she started hearing me scream. And at first she was just like, please don't be his neck. Please don't be his head. Please don't be his back. And, you know, I had at this point, uh, you know, we'll talk about this a little later in terms of kind of what I learned, but I wasn't wearing a helmet either at this time. And, you know, she hears me scream like my ankles and she immediately hears or you know, feels this experience of relief, uh, because she, you know, I'm at least being able to scream, you know, and yeah. say something cognitively, uh, sound. So yeah, I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm looking at my feet. Both my ankles are just grotesquely swollen. Um, I have Both climbing shoes on. Both, of, Both them of them are super swollen. Mm hmm. So I landed standing straight up like a pencil um, and I landed with my right foot slightly first than my left. Uh, the total distance of the fall ended up being about 30 feet. And that first piece, although I did feel slightly of a, a tug, it didn't arrest my fall at all. Uh, I hit the ground pretty freaking hard. And um, yeah, so. I'm looking at my, my ankles, they're grotesquely swollen. I'm in so much pain and I immediately, I'm just like, I broke both my ankles. I can't believe I just broke both my ankles and you know, just the feelings of fear and shock and just disbelief at how horrible this situation just immediately blew up into. And you know, Nate, I'm like still like upside down being arrested by this rope. And Nate's the only reason why I didn't tumble down farther down this talus field into a giant garden of stinging nettles. And so, you know, our first task is to try to get myself stable by myself so that he can take me off belay so that he can start helping this traumatic situation that has just occurred. And so Hannah comes down, she helps me, she helps stabilize me, um, and gets my ankles up off the ground because, you know, we're on this slope. And so my entire body wants to lean forward and all my heels just want to like hit the ground. And so she helps me help stabilize me. We get, you know myself off belay so that Nate can start helping. He's, you know, our shit is just scattered, scattered all over the place. You know, we weren't really good about keeping our stuff organized. I've got like helmets over there, shoes over here, climbing gears everywhere. <laughs> it was just a mess. Um, but now we're in this situation where We're like, all right, like, how do we get down? Do we need to call for rescue? And, you know, at the moment we're like, we need to try to f- find a way to self extricate, you know, I clearly didn't break my back. I knew at the moment that nothing else had gone wrong. It was just my ankles, which is miraculous. You know, I hear stories in the AAC about people falling 20 feet and dying on impact. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Or anything yeah. to your brain, you know, cause you weren't wearing a helmet. So it could have been so much worse, you know,
1: for sure. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, looking back, I'm extremely grateful, but you know, in the moment I knew that I was okay relative to the whole situation and Uh, yeah, so we're trying to like scoot myself down this talus field and it's not going well. Hannah's getting like crushed by my body weight because, you know, she's below me at this point on this talus field trying to hold my weight up. And uh, Nate realizes that the situation's pretty bad. So we had seen some climbers coming into the valley uh, before we started going up. And so he's like, I'm going to go try to find some help. So he disappears and goes try to find some help. Hannah and I are still trying to... Scoot down this towel field to like this semi you know section of where the trail begins. It's going really poorly, but by the time Nate gets back to us, we were much closer to the to the beginning of this resemblance of a trail, and he comes with three other people um and they were super kind, super helpful. And they're just like, all right, man, like talk to us. How can we help you get out? Because, you know, I was definitely cognitive enough to know my situation and to understand what I needed from people to help me move. And so we designed this system where we took a large stick that was wider than my body and light enough to hold and put it underneath my knees and used the outside sections as handles And so two people would hold the weight of my lower body while the two other people, I would put my arms around their shoulders and we would basically just lift me up and choose a place to put me down. And we did that for three hours as we extricated us out of this, of this valley. And I mean, I can't tell you enough how treacherous this, this hike down was. It was loose. It was not a trail. It was like scrambling, the stinging nettles were everywhere. We had to cross, cross two different streams. So like the team effort it took from everybody to just lift up, pick a spot, put me back down, take a couple of dip breaths. Like everyone's back was hurting because they're trying to lift me up. Everyone, you know, I'm freaking out about my feet hitting the ground. I had taken my climbing shoes off at this point because the swelling was getting so bad. Um, but yeah, so, you know, three hours later, we finally get down to the car. Uh, after the sticky nettles, the stream crossings, we even ended up choosing to take rest on this stump that ended up being a hornet's nest. And oh my gosh, uh, yeah, he one of my, one son. of my, yeah, Nate, unfortunately, he got stung like three times. and went up his shirt. So <laughs> is he allergic it's just, to bees or what? No, no, he was fine. You which is, if he was, I he know. Japan,
0: and then it just became <laughs> his two rescues in one. Golly.
1: Yeah. So it was just a perfect storm. And on top of that, so I had said it was such beautiful weather before we started, we're back at the car and we look up and half the sky is shrouded in wildfire smoke. I don't know if you were privy to the wildfires that we had out here this summer, but that day was basically the start of the wildfires in that area. And the entire area that we had climbed in basically burnt over like a few days later. Um, And so, yeah, like the wildfires are burning, you know, we're trying to extricate, we get back to the car and we finally make it back to the car. And, uh, I take myself to urgent care and, you know, uh, healthcare in America's, right. Hannah drove. Yes. I'm like (laughs) sitting in the back seat with my ankles up calling my parents. Well, I think, (laughs) yeah, exactly. I mean,
0: I'm not making fun of you, but yeah, Hannah definitely drove. Yeah
1: she definitely drove yeah and Thanks, actually Hannah. Nate was really Nate was really cool so she Nate uh Hannah while everybody else is carrying my sorry ass back to the car uh Hannah's shuttling all of our discombobulated gear you know from the top to the bottom of the car like and past us multiple times uh carrying gear so bless her heart for not only keeping me calm after the the accident but uh shuttling all that gear driving me back and you know, I can't even begin to talk about the whole recovery process and how much she's been helpful, uh, during that as well. But yeah, Nate also, uh, drove, uh, with me to urgent care and made sure, you know, we were okay and, uh, helped, uh, divvy up the climbing gear cause all our stuff was mixed up. And so, uh, yeah, we divvied up the climbing gear after urgent care and, you know, he went on his way and yeah, I mean, that started the, gosh the the lengthy recovery process that i'm still currently in and uh on a physiological standpoint the injuries that i actually sustained i shattered and i mean shattered completely dusted my right calcaneus bone it did hit first the doctor looked at it and said it was the worst he'd ever seen i have uh, 14 screws and a plate in my right calcaneus bone alone oh, wow. uh during the the surgery process Uh, the surgery just on my calcaneus bone took two and a half hours. Uh, He said, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar or anybody that's listening is familiar with how they reconstruct a calcaneus bone. They, so the calcaneus bone is basically like an egg. Um, The outside of it is hard and, and very structurally sound, but it's hollow and kind of squishy on the inside. And so when you break it, especially if you shatter it, it's like dropping an egg on the ground. It just fractures into a million pieces. And uh, when he put my calcaneus back together, they basically have to hunt and search for these fragments of bones and fit them together back like a puzzle piece. uh, As if they broke, you know, as they broke, they, you know, suture them together with wires until they get a nice swath of bone. And then they put the plate on and drill screws through these sections and then pull the wires out. And so this guy was, this poor guy, you know, I joke he's it was like he was building this oak cabinet for me, you know? He's like <laughs> this artist just putting back my bone together. And uh yeah, the I guess a piece of my subtalar articular cartilage floated or rather sunk to the bottom of my heel and he had to take calipers and lift it off the bottom of my heel and place it back in place uh before he put all the screws back in. So yeah, it was a traumatic injury for sure. The left foot, I luckily got away with a lot more. Uh, I had just a fracture in my talus bone, which can be pretty complicated because the talus bone doesn't receive a lot of blood. And so the bone can actually die, uh, after it gets injured too traumatically because it doesn't have enough blood flow to heal itself. Um, but luckily my fracture was not displaced and it just fractured all the way through. They put two screws in to make sure that it didn't, uh, you know, become displaced. But that, you know, at this point, my left foot is back to complete normal. Uh, I can really good. run and jump on it and do, you know, toe squats and stuff. So I feel really good about my left foot. My right foot is the one that's still giving me a lot of problems.
0: And that happened in July.
1: Uh, so it's been about four months since my surgery and about four and a half to five since the actual accident. My recovery process. You know, at first it was really bad. I couldn't, I had to crawl around my house. Uh, I couldn't put any weight on both my feet. I was in a wheelchair for two months. Um, now, you know, I graduated from crutches pretty quick and now I'm able to walk around, but I don't have any sort of calf strength on my right foot. That's the biggest problem. I, I don't, I can't like, if I were to hold someone's hand and try to do a toe press with my right foot, I just can't get off the ground. And so that's the biggest hurdle I have now is getting that strength back. And once I get that back, I need to start working on my subtalar articulation, that uh, inversion and eversion, that like twisting of the the foot left and right. That's that's what the subtalar joint does. And that's the motion that I'm most at risk of losing and also dealing with uh, post-traumatic arthritis in that joint as well. So uh, I'm going to be looking at steroid injections and I'm always taking vitamin D and collagen. I, I juice a bunch. I'm super, um, nut- you know, focused on nutrition. I used to be a CrossFit coach, uh, big into fitness and nutrition and stuff. So I take that pretty seriously in my life. And in comparison to a lot of the other people that I, I read on Reddit and on online with the injury that's similar to mine a lot of people weren't walking for like six months and I'm able to kind of like do slight jogs and I'm able to do CrossFit again. I'm able to climb in the gym. I've been able to top rope 11 plus I've able I've even been able to do a, a crack uh, recently. I've been able oh, to lead yeah. 10 minus. So in terms of the, the time of recovery comparis, comparing myself to a lot of other people, it's been miraculous. And so I've been extremely yeah. grateful. Um, I'm sure it's a lot of luck. Uh, but also a lot of my mindset and nutrition and just my focus on PT as well.
0: So Kyle, what what have you learned from all of this? What do you want to share with the listeners?
1: Uh, my biggest takeaway from this is don't take safety too lightly. Mm-hmm. I think that in climbing, it's really easy to get focused on performance and to get focused on what kind of grades you're climbing. And yes, it's it can be very exciting, but safety is in the end number one because if you aren't safe and you do get in an injury like this, the grades and the performance just is not even something you can consider anymore. Yeah, they and don't so matter, right? they don't matter, you know, you can't climb at all, you can't even walk anymore, so what are you thinking about climbing 512 anymore?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that another thing that i thought of is you know i got so hyper focused on the grades and i attached it to my ego and my personality a lot and i think that it's important for people to understand that with how competitive climbing is today if you can climb 512 even 513 no one really cares it's not really that big of a deal anymore and so like accepting more risk beating yourself up or attaching your ego to whether or not you can climb a certain grade just really isn't very healthy. And I think that there's a lot of other things in life we can focus on. And in climbing, there's so much about climbing that's enjoyable besides just the the performance and the athletics. It's adventure, it's risk management, it's the, the chess game of trad. And I think that those things can be kind of overlooked and it's very important to understand that those are a huge part of climbing and I think now moving forward are going to be the biggest focus points in my climbing career is about the adventure about the aesthetics you know where am I climbing you know is it on a mountain you know do I have an amazing view you know what kind of features am I climbing on and focusing on all these other beautiful things other than like oh I didn't climb 511 this time I feel bad you know. Mm -hmm. So that's like the biggest takeaway for me is just focus on the safety. It is, it is number one, you know, rock climbing is an extremely, extremely dangerous sport. And, you know, over the six years of my climbing, I had been onsiting most of my entire time. And so I built up this false sense of security based around my performance because I wasn't falling very much. You know, I did take a couple falls and the, the cams and the nuts held. And so that reaffirmed my trust in gear. But I would say, I mean, I, I didn't fall for four years at one point. So, you know, it's really easy to just get comfortable. And I think that it's important to just focus on the safety. You know, I had never bounced tested gear. I've never aid climbed in my life. I've never like taken the time and focused on learning how to properly place gear and to understand what the limits of those, those placements are. In a safe manner rather than just placing it and being like i think it'll work and then Mm -hmm. only testing it if you've yeah exactly this will probably hold and Mm -hmm. i'm only going to test it if i fall and i would much rather approach climbing with this deep sense of knowledge of each piece i place and having these like yeah it's bomber and knowing that it's bomber not just because of the physics of it but because i've fallen on a you know because you can say to yourself i've fallen on a placement like this just like this before. And I understand when it's going to pop and when it's not. And I think the only way you can do that is by bounce testing gear or, you know, falling with two ropes and having one as a top rope, as a backup and having the lead as the one you're testing the gear on, you know, there are really creative. there are really creative ways that you can test gear without risking your life. And I definitely overlooked all of that and just hyper-focused on the performance and it cost me.
0: Yeah, because you didn't just have one piece fail; you had three pieces fail. <clears throat> so that's mm-hmm. like, that's what kind of gets me is, uh, you know, if what if that first piece wasn't a bolt, you know? So what if you did have four pieces rip out? You know, what would have what would have your fall have been like then? Would you land on your head? You know, like thinking about that and thinking about the three pieces that you did place, how they all ripped out you know, if you place a different piece or if you play, yeah, I mean, I just, I just wonder about that, you know? Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, I think that the takeaway looking back at the actual placements I was placing, I was climbing over micro gear and you know, it's rated five kilonewtons. I found a calculator online to calculate what kind of forces you put on a piece, depending on your weight and how far you fall and what kind of rope stretch there is in the system. And this is a very vague uh, assessment because the mathematics are all extremely situationally dependent, but I calculated it and it came out to just above five kilonewtons. And that piece that broke was rated for five kilonewtons, so there's a chance that I just exceeded the safety rating for that piece and broke that wire. Um, and I think that you know, looking back, if you're climbing over micro gear, it shouldn't be an on-site attempt. You should you know you should know what you're climbing above, and you should. I don't know. It's just like, there was a lot of things that went wrong that day in terms of just putting on too much risk. It was a new area. I was climbing over micro gear. It was a new climb, new climbing partner, no helmet. I just, all these things kind of came to a pencil point and it just really uh, was unfortunate for me. And moving forward, I think that especially as a heavier and larger climber, I'm not, you know, Beth Rodden. I'm not these small climbers who weigh, you know, a hundred pounds, they don't exert as much force on these trad pieces as I do. And to all you larger and taller climbers out there, you have to take that into consideration. You need to do the math and think about what kind of force you're putting on pieces that you're falling on, depending on how far you fall and how much rope is in the system. You know, are you 20 feet from your belayer? Are you a hundred feet from your belayer? A lot farther you are away from your belayer, the less force is going to be exerted on the pieces you're falling on and then also the kind of belay device your belayer is using also plays a factor in that. And if you're using a Grigri, that rope is going to stop immediately and shock load the piece you fall on versus if someone's climbing with an ATC, there's going to be a little bit of rope slippage in that system and that's actually beneficial in trad to exert less force on the piece that you're falling on. And I think another reason that, you know, I exerted a higher amount of force on the piece that I fell on was because I yelled falling and Nate arrested the system before I let go. And so there was no rope slippage. You know, he locked that system tight when I fell. And so I just like shock loaded the piece and there was no rope slippage at all. And so it's just really important to think about all those physics and all the things that go into the falls. It's really easy to overlook it and just be like, oh, it's a cam, you know, it's safe. Everyone climbs on these things. There's just a lot more that goes into it. Uh, wear your helmet. You know, <laughs> I got yeah, really lucky. You helmet
0: with you. You didn't I wear did.
1: I did. I put it right on the side. It it was very stupid. I just kind of got myself into this mindset of, I only wear a helmet if I'm multi-pitching or if there's rock hazards from above. And I don't know what else what to was say Nate, except for. Was, it
0: was, was Nate wearing a helmet? Because even though there, there might not have been rock hazard from above, but you were certainly pulling out crumbles of rock in that crack, right?
1: Mm-hmm. I can't remember if he was or not, um, to be honest. So I don't exactly know, but. Yeah, just, I mean, wear your freaking wear helmet a helmet, and, wear a helmet, kids. and it, and it <laughs> it's hard because, you know, you see these professional climbers climbing El Cap without a helmet on either you see these people climbing these crazy climbs without a helmet on. And I think that as an average climber, it just reinforces that, that decision to, to not wear a helmet. And so I think that you could take a lead fall and fall wrong and smash your head against the wall. Or a rock could fall from above you and hit you in the head and it could, it could kill you on impact. So yeah. there's a lot of things that go into it. And I think that with, with, uh, professional climbers, it's really easy to compare yourself to them and you just don't have no idea what kind of experience they've had and how much work they've put into where they are. And I just, you know, I was naive and I, uh, assumed that risk on my own and I would never do it again. Yeah. I think that my, my whole relationship with risk has changed and. It's just not necessary to push that envelope of risk anymore. Um, I have too much to lose. And that's something I've I've learned as well uh, throughout this whole thing is there's a lot more to my life than climbing. And I think that at the time I was struggling with what to focus on. And I think I, I in turn, hyper-focused on performance once again and attached a lot of my identity and ego to it. And now, you know, it slowed me down so much that it's forced me to think about and focus on a lot of other personal projects that I've been dreaming of doing. And now I'm so enthralled with these new projects that I wouldn't even wanna risk losing these again by taking on just unnecessary risk in the mountains.
0: Thank you so much, Kyle, for sharing your story and leaving us with a few important lessons. Thank you to Rocky Talkie and the American Alpine Club for believing in my podcast mission. Many of the guests I've had on this show in the last seven years have saved money on their rescue just by being a member of the American Alpine Club. Learn all about the member benefits on the American Alpine Club website. Also, don't forget to nominate your favorite SAR team. Rocky Talkie has partnered with the AAC to award four search and rescue teams a total of $25,000. Nominate a team today on the American Alpine Club website. Applications close at the end of this month. Visit AmericanAlpineClub.org to learn more and join today. Don't forget to show your support of this podcast on Patreon.com the sharp end podcast. Tis the season for giving, and these podcasts don't produce themselves. And as always, play hard and be smart.